Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 24 of the Trapper Rock 101 podcast from Pirates and Poets. I'm your host, John Burns. Appreciate you being with me today. Uh, this episode features a uh, conversation between myself and Howie Golub, uh, percussionist, harmonica player, and vocalist for the Boat Drunks. I have been watching uh, Howie play and perform for a long time. Uh, first saw the Boat Drunks back in 2006 at Margaritaville during Meeting of the Minds and uh, got a chance to uh, to know him over the years. We probably averaged a gig with the Boat Drunks a year since 2008 or so, and uh, it's it's been uh, a pleasure to get to know Howie and everyone else in the band, uh, Mike, Jake, Dyke, Larry, everyone else. Um. Howie is a founding member of the Boat Drunks, and and uh, when I say a founding member, that's actually pretty important in the story of the Boat Drunks, because as we discuss uh, in this conversation, the Boat Drunks have undergone a lot of lineup changes over the years. Um, I want to say this about the Boat Drunks: um, they are, in my opinion, horribly underrated. Um, and it's weird to say a band that's won four or five uh, Band of the Year awards are underrated, but when people talk about uh, Trop Rock, when you see a lot of posts on social media, or even if you if you go back and listen to a lot of these episodes, when I ask people about you know the Mount Rushmore of Trop Rock, um, the boat drunks just don't seem to come up a lot, and they don't seem you know people don't get uh, crazy excited about them like they do some acts, and and some of that is the fact that the boat drunks have been around for twenty years now. Um, you know, everybody has their moment at the top of the mountain. Uh, we talk about that in the interview. And nobody can stay at the top of the mountain forever. But uh, I, I still, I just get this feeling that the boat drunks are, are vastly underrated. Um, and I th- really think that is because they are a true band. And I mean that as a as a deep, deep compliment when I say they are a true band. In that they are not Jim Morris and or Jerry Diaz and. Um, there is no one name and face attached to the boat drunks. Um you got guys like Howie and Larry Lister and Dyke who uh, are not traditional front men by any means, but they've been a part of the boat drunks as long as I've been I've been around, so 15-plus years now. Um, that's what it takes to survive the lineup changes that this band has been through. Uh, the, the band was founded by Mike Miller and Jake Tater, uh, what you would kind of consider traditional front men, you know, guitar players, bassists. Uh, but... Mike has come and gone from the band uh, once voluntarily, once uh, involuntarily due to medical problems. Jake left the band five or six years ago to spend more time with his family, and the boat drunks just kept on trucking. And uh, that is a testament uh, to them as a unit, them as a team, Um, everybody on stage and their manager, Todd. So uh, Howie and I talk about that. We talk about, uh, you know, his history as a musician, different bands he's played with over the years. Uh, We talk about... Uh, Howie songwriting. He he has a cut or two on every Boat Drunks album, and uh, I found it really interesting to talk songwriting with someone who doesn't play guitar or piano, which is you know, what people think of as the traditional uh, instruments for singer-songwriters. So that was a lot of fun. We talk about all that and more. I hope you enjoy this interview. I really did. Uh, it's been a long time uh, since I got to see most of the guys from the Boat Drunks. I'm thinking probably sometime late. Uh Late 2019 probably was the last time I got to see most of the guys in the Boat Drunk. So it was fun talking to Howie and catching up. I look forward to seeing everybody from the Boat Drunk sometime soon. And uh, real quick before we go to the interview, uh, the last month or so I have gotten a tremendous amount of positive feedback about the podcast, about Trapper Rock 101. There's some uh, people out there who are really enjoying it and some people who are fairly new to the scene who are learning a lot of the backstory uh, behind the genre. And that was the goal of this project was to preserve and share the history of our community of our genre so uh, i'm glad that people are enjoying it uh and uh we're going to keep cranking them out every two weeks that's the plan uh so here we go uh enjoy my conversation from the boat drugs this is howie gollum well um i had a pickup new year's eve gig in champagne i think it was uh new year's eve 2001 and um, the original drummer in the boat trunks, a guy named Brendan Gamble was playing that gig too. And we were on break 
and he just told me that he was he was doing this Buffett thing, and he really wasn't into Buffett that much. Probably still isn't, but that's you know. And he um, and he said, you know, and I told him, well, you know, it could be a lot of fun, and there's definitely some money to be made if you're in, in it for that. And um, you know, if if the guy, other guys in the band feel they want to try, you know, a guy who can play harmonica and percussion and do some singing, you know, give me a call. And, uh, you know, I gave him my number and, um, about two or three months later, Jake Tater gave me a call, asked me to come to a rehearsal. And that's, that's how I got in the band. Right. And the original, if you want to get real specific, the original, uh, incarnation of the boat drunks was basically a duo with Mike and Jake, correct? Right. It was called Captain and the Kid. I don't know which was which. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder which. <laughs> I'm sure Mike could tell you or Jake yeah. if you talk to them. <laughs> um. So, uh, what? Remind me of the year. This is early 2000s. The boat drunks formed. Er, Captain and the Kid started playing 2000, and the boat drunks full band. You know, and if time would worked out right, I think like next week will be like the 20th anniversary of the full band playing out. Oh, wow. So just for folks who are listening, when he says next week, he means the week that this is coming out because we're recording this a week before the podcast will be released. So we're talking. All right. So it'll be, be around the 15th or 16th of March. Awesome. So it's right around that time. That's pretty cool. And I want to come back and talk about the the longevity of the band and, you know, all the obstacles y'all have come over, overcome over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you just kind of and I also I want to talk about, you know, your your musical career before the boat drunks. But that's a mm-hmm. that's a pretty good skill set to walk into what at that point was basically a Jimmy Buffett cover band, harmonica and percussion. You just kind of mm-hmm. walked into that. Right. So you were telling me beforehand that, that you kind of knew a little bit about Buffett, but you were not well-versed in, in all the old Buffett uh, songs beyond the greatest hits before you joined the band. Pretty much. I had, um, I did have some exposure through the, um, that four CD box set that he put out the bars, beaches, boats, and ballads. Yeah. So, I, you know, I had a good familiarity with most, most of those songs in addition to the yellow album stuff. So you had an idea of what was going on. You, right. get, pa- you get past the, the, the box set and you're getting really deep then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what did that, what did that look like? That first boat drunk gig? Uh, you were there, obviously Mike and Jake were there. Who- right. And Andy Gaines was playing keyboards. And, and um, Brendan Gamble was on drums. And Mike, Mike played bass back then. A lot of folks may not remember that, especially folks who are fairly new to the trap rock scene. Right. Um, so it was just a five piece, huh? Right. Interesting. So when did, uh, when did Todd come along? Todd? Well, after we started playing some more gigs and we're getting known locally, Todd came out as a fan. Um, I think his infi- his official involvement with the band was um, I don't know if it was 2005 or or 2006, right around the time we started serious work on um, the Wahini Man recording. Okay, so Todd wasn't even official in the the St. Duval Street days then. No, not officially, but, you know, he he knew the band and he was active in the Parrothead Club, which had started up kind of, you know, kind of about this Eastern Illinois Parrothead Club kind of got going a little after the band was going. You know, sort of a symbiotic relationship for all these years with that group. Right. So talk a little bit about the, the growth of the band uh you know, in the early 2000s, uh, when did you start playing out of town? When did you start getting hired for the the bigger events? You know, when did y'all decide to, to record that first album? Talk about, about kind of the growing, the growing up phase a little bit. 
Yeah, the um, well, we were playing around Central Illinois, and you know, you know, within two, three hour drives, maybe. Um, the first time that, and that was for you know a couple of years, and we were basically doing, um, just all Jimmy, and you know we were we were talking because I had I had actually been to meeting of the minds a couple of times before the boat trunks with Jim Hain and Kevin Mulvena. So I had an idea about the, the whole parrot head thing right? beyond that and musically what was happening. So I, I met Jerry Diaz probably in 2000 when he was with Key West, the band. Mm-hmm. That's how long I've known Jerry. Wow. That's longer than me, man. Yeah. There you go. Maybe we should switch microphones here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I had an idea what was going on. So, you know, I, you know, kind of dropped the hint. You know, there's plenty of there are plenty of bands playing Jimmy Buffett stuff at that time. I go, we need to think we need to get think about doing our own songs. That's what will differentiate. That's what will differentiate us between, you know, f- from some of the other groups that were out there. And in 2003, you know, and it turns out, you know, Jake and Mike are both pretty good writers. I pitched in with a couple tunes on each of the, just about all the CDs or a couple of my tunes that I've written, but those guys are a lot better at writing songs than I am. And, um, 2003, we, uh, we started working on, Oh, let me backtrack just a bit. Um, before we, a few months before we recorded this ain't Duval street, you know, our original drummer, Brendan left like summer of 2002. And we had a couple other guys that were filling in and, um, and then we got hooked up with Larry as he subbed for, um, he subbed for our drummer at the time for a Labor Day gig in a, in a town, Muhammad, about 10 miles west of Champaign. And Larry, you know, all, all the other drummers are good players, but Larry kind of had an idea. He seemed to lock into the bigger vibe more than just the music itself. Yeah. And um, when our drummer at the time, because of uh, he had some family things going on, he, he wanted to step back from playing as much as the boat drums were starting to play. And Larry was available so he came in like about three or four months before we started recording This Ain't Duval Street. So on the first album, it's Jake, Mike, Andy, Larry, and me. That's uh, getting pretty close to the classic boat drunk lineup there. You're just missing Dyke at that point. Yeah, yeah. And um, we recorded at a studio in Mattoon, Illinois, about an hour south of us. And, um, you know, I later on, it's time when I referred to it, the, the little CD that could, because <laughs> people were always asked, you know, because it was the first one. Right. And people took a liking to the songs. And it just so happened we were able to get product right before we played our first big event. Going back to your earlier question, um, we were invited to play at, uh, at Putin Bay. And um, 2003, Flocking of the Faithful, thank you. 2003, we did a couple of shows at uh, Mr. Ed's, the original Mr. Ed's. And that was, uh, that was a seat of my first, my first major amp repair because some drunken guy ran into the club trying to get in and the stage was right by the front door and he knocked my amp over. <laughs> I was real happy about that, but I got through the gig okay. <laughs> And um, and we happened to have CDs that weekend. So word started getting around. And a special thanks to Patty Cayley for having us both the Flocking of the Faithful and for uh, sort of putting our name out there for larger events, you know, especially Meeting of the Minds. Right, because she was on the uh, PHIP board somewhere around in that ballpark time mm-hmm. that frame. And... Um, you know, and we we played, you know, we, we played uh, 
we played at the Casa, and we had a, another show that first year down in uh, Key West at the, the Sands Beach Club, which Hurricane Wilma took out. So that club is no longer there. But, uh, you know, and, and, and in those years, we started getting back to, uh, you know, more people were contacting us. We were playing more in the Chicago area, did some around St. Louis, other parts of Illinois and Wisconsin. Um, you know, probably during our peak, those busiest years, I don't want to call it a peak, but during the busiest years, we were, I seem to remember one or two years where we played between 80 and 90 shows. And pretty much all of us were still working other jobs at that time. And then it's kind of been to now, not counting last year, we've probably been doing about 50 shows a year last several years. Yeah. 80 to 90 gigs a year for a full band is a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, especially, in yours part of the world, you know, I, I think that y'all have a pretty serious off season due to weather mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, right. I mean, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a lot for a solo or duo, but you're getting six to eight people in the same place over and over again. Right. People don't realize how much work, you know, how, how it compounds the more people you add to a band. So. Right. Right. You know, we had some friends. You know, a friend of ours who's also served as our legal advisor, Steve Hoff, lives a couple hours south of us. And um, he asked us to play a Christmas party in his hometown of Alney. And um, we did that. We did that a couple of times. Country Club down there hired us a few times. And as a coincidence, Alney is also the hometown of our current bass player, Josh Houchin. Ah. Everything's so, in a full circle. Yeah, there's there's a lot of weird weird connections and stuff like that. And um, you know, at MOTM, once we played a meeting of the minds, you know, and we already had a website set up, so people were able to get hold of us, and it started, you know, more traveling. You know, uh, Finns to the West did flocking to the faithful a few more times. Started getting out more in the East Coast, um, more in the Midwest. You know, so um, things are busier. And then, um, you know, we had, you know, we had an album of originals and we, we wrote for the second one, uh, Wahini Man. Uh, we recorded, that's, you know, we recorded that one in Champaign, Urbana. And um, we were also lucky enough to have uh, Bill Payne and Paul Barrera from Little Feet mm-hmm. and Doyle Grisham playing on a few songs on that recording. And in, and we also had um, we had a couple of years where we actually added another piece where we had uh, two different sax players play with us, like from two thousand five to about two thousand eight. Bill Harriet for one year and Michael Favreau for two years, and Michael is on the second CD. Yeah, I think he was still probably still in the band the first time or two I saw y'all play. So I joined the Paradise Club in 2004. And mm-hmm. uh, like my what I call my early period or really what I call my period head period when I was president of a Paradise Club and, you know, it was running around like a drunk idiot all the time instead of just some of the mm-hmm. time. Uh, yeah. You know, in 2005 to 2008 or so, man, I think y'all were the undisputed kings of Trop Rock at that point, um, yeah. you know. Everybody, everybody, uh, you used the word peak earlier, and I, I know what you mean that you don't necessarily want to use that word, but everybody kind of has that point where nobody can stay on the top, top forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but I think to me, that was, you know, outside of Florida. I mean, of course, people in Florida loved you too, but I think outside of Florida, y'all were hands down the most popular band in, in the country for three or four years there. And that was mm-hmm. right when I discovered y'all and, and discovered a lot of music. But, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, boat drunks boat drunks boat drunks and i remember my first trip to meeting the minds it was like you know uh, really high on the bucket list was to get down to margaritaville and see the boat drunks live for the first time mm-hmm. so uh when did when did dyke come in Dyke started doing a couple of shows with us just wondered you know we've all known we all knew dyke you know mike jake and i and larry knew dyke from like the 1980s I did because that's when I was first playing music in Champaign, a country rock band called Appaloosa and Dyke was in other bands. 
real good guitar player, real good pedal steel player, great guy. And we had him fill in with us when he could. Mm-hmm. And then when, um, you know, when Michael moved to Chicago and he was too busy to keep playing with us, um, you know, we said, well, I think Dyke's, you know, Dyke's a natural to be, you know, to fill out the band all the time. So he's on, um, the first recording Dyke is on is um, Long Time No See. But he had started playing live with us pretty much all the time, 2006, 2007. Yeah. You know, one time we brought him down and we were in Casa and uh, so Doyle had played the steel on hollow man, the second version. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we were doing a gig, I think it was, may have been at Casa and Doyle and Mike Utley were on stage with us. And, um, Doyle played some guitar too. And, you know, Dyke, Dyke played Doyle's licks perfectly, you know, when, uh, and Doyle just had a big, big grin on his face when, uh, you know, we heard what Dyke can do. So walk me through this. When Doyle Grisham and Mike Utley come on stage with the boat drunks, what do Andy Gaines and Dyke Corson do? Do they, well, did you have Andy double instruments or what? Yeah. Andy, Andy would bring an extra keyboard and then he and Mike would work out who would do what on each individual song. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes when Dyke played guitar, Doyle would play steel. And if uh, Dyke was playing steel, Doyle would play guitar. We actually had one show. Um, it was in Southern Illinois, a festival down, you know, Southern Illinois Parrothead Club territory in Heron. And Dyke's daughter was graduating high school that same day. So Dyke couldn't do the gig. Yeah. You know, who are we going to get? So we called Doyle. And he wasn't doing anything that day. And it was probably about close to the same distance from Nashville to Heron as it was from Champaign to Heron, but in opposite directions. So Doyle came up and did the show with us. Very cool. Y'all have, uh, y'all have had pretty good relationships with lots of coral reefers over the years. I mean, yeah, uh, maybe perhaps most notably Nadira, but Mm -hmm. it's, uh, been, been good to y'all for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've done several shows with Mac. Um, you know, a lot of things in meeting of the minds, everybody with the exception of Jimmy and Peter Guth and John Lovell, I think all the coral reef, all the other coral reefers have played with the boat trunks at one time or another. And that includes Ralph McDonald and Robert Greenwich, and the mayors, Tina. So that's not bad. Good track record. So I want to ask you about this. Um, to me, um, the thing that makes the boat drunks great, even more than the music, is the longevity. Um, and uh, just the name boat drunks. It was never Jay Tater in the boat drunks. It was never Mike Miller in the boat drunks. Mm-hmm. And y'all have, uh, as you just said, 20, 20 years now, do a lot of changes. Um, you know, I guess to me, looking at it, there were like four stages of the boat drunks. There was, I guess, maybe what you might call the classic lineup, which was, you know, Mike, Jake, you, Larry, Andy, and Dyke. Um, mm-hmm. then, then you had the the uh, the period where Mike wasn't in the band. Mm-hmm. Then you had the period where Mike was in the band, but not Jake. Right. And then you had the period where Andy and uh, Aaron left uh, at the same time. And so kind of the modern boat drunks. Um, right. It's kind of, and like I said, I, I think to me, that's the most impressive thing is y'all have, Y'all have kept the same vibe. You know, it wasn't like you were you were doing this with one group. It wasn't like Fleetwood Mac where you were a blues band and then all of a sudden you became a pop rock band when Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined. Y'all y'all maintained the same vibe, you know, um mm-hmm. over over all the changes. So just kind of talk about all the changes through the years and and you know what it takes to to lose a founder like Mike 
he comes back, lose a founder like Jake. Then, then you had the period where you didn't have Mike because Mike was, uh, was very sick. So just talk about all that. Yeah. Well, you know, um, well, when Mike, you know, said he was going to leave the band and take his boat to Florida, um, we had to figure out what we were going to do. And Andy, Andy recommended Aaron Walk. They'd grown up together, played in other bands together to fill in on the bass chair and, and do some singing. And, um, you know, and, and it worked out. You know, Dyke was playing with us full time. Had to do some restructuring of, of lead vocals, obviously. And, and, of course, that affects the harmony vocals as well. Right. And we've always, one thing that I like that we've always been able to go with multiple lead singers pretty much throughout the whole the whole tenure of the band you know i don't know if that's you know it's just good to it's just another way to make things a little more expansive and there's more variety because it isn't always the same guy singing lead right you know some people like might like to identify with the guy but we've got we've got six guys you know, mm-hmm. and that certainly yeah. helps you get you through a full week of shows in Key West every year. Sure. We wrote in, in our in our, you know, the number of songs that we do. We try not to do the same show every night. So. Um, and we've got a good, good bank of originals to choose from and the Jimmy songs that we know everybody wants to hear. And, you know, the covers that we picked as we kind of opened up the types of songs that we do. And uh, it's just made it, you know, it's, for me, it's been enjoyable. Uh, that's why, like I said, right at the outset, you know, I wish we were playing gigs, you know, and every, everyone's starting to get the itch. And yes. um, so, and then for a while, you know, Mike, it was four or five years that Mike was gone, I think. You know, whenever we were in the area, there, where he was, he would come and join us for a few for that particular weekend. Um, during the summer, he'd come back to Champagne for you know maybe three weeks or a month, and he'd just play the shows with us. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was that. So we were actually a seven piece for when he moved back full time. So we were we were a seven piece with Mike and Jake Dyke. Andy, Aaron, Larry, and me for about maybe close to two years. And then, um, you know, Jake, Jake felt the need to step back from things in early 2015. And we were, um, you know, you know, we had our, what are, we had our, what are we going to do meeting? And, um, right. you know, some people thought about, you know, do we add another front person? And and others of us were saying, well, you know, there are six of us. We've got plenty of singers. We could restructure some things and change things around a little bit vocally. And it would still just, it would be all the boat drunks, you know, because all the other guys were staying in the band. Right. And that's, and that's where we went for maybe about a year and a half or so. And then um, Andy and Aaron stepped back. That was probably the toughest thing at that point. You know, and Dyke, Larry, Mike, and I, you know, we were sitting at Larry's house having our second what are we going to do meeting. You all have got this time, haven't you? Yeah, and this time we knew we would have to be um, adding, you know, filling chairs. You know, we'd have to have a keyboard player and have to have a bass player. And Curly had uh, subbed for Andy a couple of times the previous year um, in Southern Illinois, mostly around Illinois and in Peoria, where he's from. And um, he was, you know, it was kind of one of those things. If things ever open up and you want me to play with y'all, just give me a call. And then we know Josh a long time, and he, he talked about it with Dyke. You know, because we were looking, for, we know we need a bass player, and 
and more singing too. Right. And, um, you know, he started rehearsing with us and, uh, things seemed to fit, you know, they both, both Dyke and Curly brought different things to the band. So we kind of do some different songs than we did earlier as far as the covers, but, um, we're able to do all the originals and, um, you know, that's, that's been the current lineup, the current lineup for, uh, let's see the first year that Josh and Curly played at meeting of the minds was 2016. Yep. So I actually worked the next to last gig that Andy and Aaron did. Y'all came down to the riddles in the sand. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy declared me his surrogate Todd and told me to bring him beer. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that sounds like Andy. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that, that is, you're coming up on five years then of, of that, that one lineup. And I mean, I guess that's about as long as any one solid lineup has stayed together for y'all then, huh? Right. If you, if you look at it strictly person by person, I mean, the time after Dyke started playing with us full time to the time. Yeah, that I guess you're right. If we did one of those timeline things, like go on Wikipedia and for a certain band, and then oh, at the man. end of the article, they have all the who's in it and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'm no, going to go create one of those for the boat drunks on Wikipedia. So, I want to be the blue line, not the red line, you know. <laughs> Oh. But um, but we had a good, like our last recording, what we had was a double live uh, called Title Tracks. And actually, Jake and Jake's son, Jackson, came and did the show with us. That was a one-off in Champaign. Right. You know, we got, we made a double disc and pretty much, pretty much wanted to have the, the originals on it. And um, turn out like I think it's twenty two or twenty three originals and a half dozen covers that we put on there, and like the songs that Jake wrote originally, you know, he came back and sang those, and you know, there were a lot, there was a lot more music played that night, but we only had so much space on the two discs, right? You know, and I think, I think along with the whole history, and this would involve all the guys of the band, I think our recordings, we've done some interesting things. Um, one, with a direct nod to Jerry on covering their tracks. You know, we did his song, We'll Get By. Right. We did a Troy Allen song. It's two that, things to do when it rains, and, and I don't read. Yep. And that was a, you caught all of us off guard with that one. Uh, you know, I mean, we appreciated covering uh, one of Jerry's songs, but given the nature of the project, it wasn't unexpected. The Troy mm-hmm. cover, we were all like, oh, wow, they dug deep on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, like everybody else, we miss Troy. We got to be friends as much as we could whenever we'd see, see you guys at national events. And he was all, always coming up and friendly and talking with us. And, you know, it was uh, probably a tough time for for you guys when he when he got sick and passed. Uh, it was, uh, you know, not to not to go super weird or morbid here, but I think personally, and it, this dawned on me this past weekend. Um, I was looking at some old pictures. Um, you know, looking at the boat drunks, y'all have had all these changes, but uh, everybody's still with you. And of course, I mean, y'all kind of flirted with that when Mike got sick, but um, it dawned on me the other day that if you go back and look at old pictures of Hannah's Reef, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, I think there are more folks uh, deceased that used to be in Hannah's Reef than there are actually living yeah, I, uh, right now. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's with Bud and, oh, and I forget your bass players, the bass uh, players. Bobby. 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 Bobby and then Chuck Willingham, who was our drummer for a long time, passed away uh, in 2019. So, oh, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, he had, he he left the band. He was kind of uh, half in, half out in 2013, but he didn't play with us after 2013. Um, and he just kind of totally yeah. gotten away from Paradise Trap Rock World, so a lot of people that didn't live here weren't aware of it. But yeah, so yeah. Uh, you guys have been uh, fortunate in that regard. Um, yeah. You know, 
We, yeah, we were able to get to uh, touch on something we touched before, the time that Mike was recovering. And uh, we just played as a five-piece. You know, I took a lot more lead vocals during that time because we didn't know who's going to sing Mike's songs. Right. And who's, and who's going to do, like, the others, not – you know, and then Mike always sang Southern Cross and a lot of the Buffett stuff that we kept in, the, in our catalog. Mike sang lead on a lot of those. Who's going to sing those? So we divvied, we divvied them up between uh, Curly, Josh, and me. And, uh, you know, we were able to get through it. You know, I yeah. think we did for playing it, it, music on the band Tampa. You know, I was really happy we were able to pull off Good show. I know Bill Connolly was sweating it a little bit. And I go, you know, don't don't worry, Bill. It, it's it's the boat trunks. We're not going to, we're not, you know, we're going to give you a good show. Don't worry about it. Oh yeah. I don't know if you believe me, but uh, <laughs> we're still playing the event. So well, you know, a um, y'all are all professionals. You know, y'all can y'all can certainly do a show it, with, without you know any one of y'all can be gone and it's still going to be a, a good show. But I would have to imagine that you know, the crowd was uh, definitely in your corner that night as well. So, yeah. So what was it? What was the thought process um, when Mike left the band uh, to go sailing? Like Mm -hmm. you talk about dividing up the songs, but I want to talk about hollow man in particular, um, because to me, and I think to a lot of people that might be the most iconic trop rock song. Um, Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I think almost everybody would put it in their personal top five. So Mm -hmm. what was, what was the thought process behind that song when Mike left the band? Um, who was going to sing that, and and how did yeah. that change over over the years? Yeah, well, we had, we had all talked about it even before Mike left, you know, and he offered up the uh, he offered up the suggestion, um, you know, about Larry doing it, and um, that way the people singing harmonies at that time, uh, Jake and me. Um, you know, that would stay the same. Yeah. So we'd have that. There were a couple of times, you know, Larry, you know, Larry was a little under the weather. You know, he doesn't sing as much as the rest of us anyway. So he's not, you know, he's not used to it. If he, there were a few times when he was a little under the weather and I, and I just took it on, you know, and, um, you know, and even, Aaron, you know, Aaron was singing harmonies, so we still had to get, we still had enough voices to cover, right? But we pretty much kept it that way that Larry would sing it whenever he could until, um, you know, until Mike returned. You know, it was like Jake used to joke around. He goes, "Even the Beatles let Ringo sing every once in a while." You know? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Jake Tater to make a Beatles joke. Yeah, yeah. Hey y'all, this is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. Well, uh, you know what? We have covered the boat drunks pretty good. So let's uh, let's talk about Howie before the boat drunks. Um, how did you get into music? What did you listen to growing up? Where did you grow up? Are, are you Illinois native or? I'm Illinois native. Uh, grew up in Skokie, Illinois, just north of Chicago. Um, my mom's still in the house that we grew up. My brothers and I grew up in. Wow. And. Um, there was always music in the house, even though probably it wasn't a lot of pop, a lot of classical. And, you know, my folks, uh, when they bought a, a full stereo system, you know, they had all these demo records because that was the time it was going from monaural more into stereo. Mm-hmm. And they would they would sit me down in between the speakers on the floor. I, I think I was maybe four and a half or five. And there'd be like sounds of like a train and you'd hear the the train go from one speaker to the other or people playing ping pong and you'd hear the ball bounce back and forth, <laughs> left, right, left, right, you know, and all sorts of other stuff. There was always music in the house. A lot of other members in the family sang, 
And, um, you know, I played, I played trombone for several years in uh, grade school and high school, sang in high school choir, was in a combo, you know, just basically singing. I wasn't really playing harmonica that much. Um, early growing up, listened to Beatles, Stones, a lot of the English bands, a lot of the American bands that I like. You know, even to this day, I still like uh, bands like the Kinks and the Hollies. Um, in addition to the Beatles, uh, started playing harmonica a little bit. Not like I knew what I was doing, but that put me on some more blues artists. Listen to like listening to Johnny Winter, Paul Butterfield, people like that. Yeah. Um, college, I played in a couple of bands, one acoustic, one kind of a you know electric blues thing. Did a lot of actually did some old. Uh, Fleetwood Mac blues, you know, the original version of Oh Well. Yeah. And uh, as a St. James Street Boys, played with them uh, last two years in college. And, uh, you know, I, I came to Champaign to go to grad school. And um, I had done real well on a test in a class. And I lived real close to the quad where people were hanging out. And uh, there were these people sitting in front of one building, they were just jamming. And I had some harmonicas with me and just kind of sat down and you mind if I sit in. One of the guys in that group ended up joining a band called Appaloosa. It was a popular country rock band around central Illinois and the Midwest. And um, I'd go out to see them play and, you know, maybe sit in a song or two. And then when they had some lineup changes, they asked me to join that band. And, um, that was 1980. And uh, so I, I played with Appaloosa for six years. And um, we're still, that lineup, you know, we're still friends. We've gotten together and had some reunion shows. And we even did a reunion show with like every major version of Appaloosa oh, here wow. in Champaign. We didn't, rec- we didn't record that. But uh, <laughs> same, same club where we had the Mike, big Mike Miller benefit and where at, uh, the boat drums recorded the double live disc. Yeah. Um, so, and, and also that, that kind of opened up, you know, the boat drums did, why don't we get drunk and screw in the lineup? That was the only Buffett song we did, but we, we corn treated up and, uh, you know, of course people liked it for the, uh, for the obvious and not so obvious references. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, so after that, after that project ended, you know, and that was a full time, that was a full time thing. I remember first, first gigs I played with the band, we did nine nights in a row. No, not all one nighters, but uh, I, I couldn't adjust to the nighttime schedule for about three or four months. You know, I was going to bed late, but waking up early. And uh, like I said, still friends with still friends with all those guys. And uh, after that, played in a few other groups around Champaign. And uh, that led to my knowing the, the people that uh, eventually got me hooked up with the boat trunks. So you've been in Champaign then pretty much your entire adult life. Right. I've been full t- living here. 41 years. So how, how big is Champagne population was? Well, Champagne urbana is about maybe 130,000 between the two cities and add another 40,000 plus for the university of Illinois. Okay. So it's, is, it's bigger than I would have thought then. Yeah. It was a big music town in the late, late sixties with uh, groups like REO and Cole kitchen Head East, Dan Fogelberg. Yeah. Um, a lot of good jazz players come out of here. Um, so there's always been a music scene, and there have been, there have been younger bands that have, uh, you know, Elvis Brothers. Um, I'm trying to think. There's the band Champagne itself, uh, mid-'80s and later. There's always been groups that have gone out and played you know, nationally, 
Right. And even I don't, I couldn't tell you so much about now. I'm really not uh, up on the scene, <laughs> especially with the last year and a half. It's like U of I campus is like <laughs> maybe a mile and a half from my house. And I, I hardly even get there. You well, know, when, when there's not a scene to keep up with, there's not a lot you can do about it. So, right, right, right. There hasn't been much in the last year, yeah. year and a half, unfortunately. So, so how, like the original, but the, the classic lineup, um, how, how close were y'all all distance wise? And was it a pretty compact area that y'all lived in or were y'all pretty spread out? Um, everybody, well, Mike, Jake, Brendan and I all kind of live around Champaign-Urbana. Andy lived down in Mattoon, about 45 miles south. Okay. And Dyke's music stores are in Champaign, but he lives about 30 miles east out in the country. Gotcha. Or it's like 20, I think it's 25 miles from my house to his house, something like that. So you're not on top of each other, but you're not hours away either right right yeah so you mentioned um well first off when did when did the percussion playing come in did that was that something just to do when you weren't playing harmonica or was that something yeah there was that was kind of like that you know and it was um like i tell people as a percussionist i'm a pretty good harmonica player (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just a matter of keeping time adding a little more tonal color, um, you know, and, and the more I've got is just trying to find a rhythm that worked with the songs where I could keep singing and not lose anything on the singing. Yeah. You know, and um, when we would record, you know, sometimes there's more than just a set of conga drums on the track. You know, even if it's just a tambourine on a two and four, or a claves or a cowbell, you know, each I'd have to go and play a conga track, have to go and play a tambourine track, have to go and play a cowbell track, right. you know, and then have to figure out live how much of that can I actually do at the same time. And uh, which accounts for how I've got my rigs set up and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, you know, to put the English spin on it, basically just, to provide a different tone or color, you know, <laughs> or add, add, add to the mix, you know, add, add to the gumbo. Right. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, that you've had a, a couple of original tunes on, on all the different Bojunks records. Um, do you play piano or guitar at all? Or, or what does that writing process look like for you? Um, I know some chords on the guitar and I know some chords on the piano. It, especially guitar players. If I'm sitting in with someone, I can tell by where the hands are, what key the song is in. So I'm not fumbling around looking for the right harmonica. Um, Sometimes it's a a vocal line. Sometimes it's just a melody in my head. Yeah. And on the assumption that I'm going to be singing it, you know, I look, you know, I just pick up various harps and, Oh, it sounds pretty good here. I'm not reaching for too many notes. I'm, I'm in a sweet spot of my range. You know, so I have a key. And then just try to um, flesh out the melody. Try to have, you know, good hooks. Melodic hook in the verse and in the chorus. Try to do something different for the bridge portion. And that's where I usually go to the other guys for some assistance you know, musically. Right. Um, there are certain things, some things just work really quick. Like on the last studio CD we did, um, I've got two originals, Hey Baby Hey and 18 Tiki Torches. So Hey Baby Hey, I had this bass line in my mind. So it was actually at the party grab one year. I think it was the first time Josh came down with us. And it was right before we went on stage to play on the street party. And I said, Josh, I got this song and I got this idea for a bass line. <laughs> and I sang the bass line to him. And I go, and when if we ever get around to record this, this is what I'd like you to do, you know? And um, that, so that's how that thing developed. And he ended up doing, playing upright bass on that in the studio. 
And, um, and that came together pretty quickly. And then 18 Tiki torches. That's how many Tiki torches I have in my garage. <laughs> it just happened. I was messing around in there one day and I counted them and, you know, and we, Tracy and I would, you know, every so often, not that often, but have an outdoor party, you know, put the Tiki torches in the backyard. So, um, that's how that, that song, I thought, I looked at my original vocal draft and it was, my word document was 2012 and only took till 2018 to record the song. Dang. You know, and, but, uh, I thought they came together real well in the studio and uh, the guys, you know, the guys helped me out when I need it. Yeah, man, that, that's interesting to me. Someone who doesn't play what people think of as a songwriting instruments, you know, mm-hmm. writes the song. Cause I mean, are they solo writing credits to you or did you give credit to anybody um, else? I've got, I have solo writing credits on every, on all of the originals. Let me see if there may be one thing I gave. Nope, I haven't. Uh, all the guys have helped out gratis. But, you know, when the other guys write tunes, you know, when we go in and work them up before, we, you know, everyone, everyone has ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, it might change. Uh, like Curly added a nice end to the bridge and together we fly. And, uh on on that on that CD, there's a song called Paradise that Mike wrote, and Dyke had he didn't have so much of a melody, but he had a chord progression and a bridge progression, and he played it for Mike, and Mike wrote the song. So that's that's like a joint writing credit, right? But usually, I've got on my on mine to date, I've had the uh, the vocals, and uh, sometimes I've got a melody line. That's an instrumental line. And I go, this is what, this is what I want, you know? And yeah, another time, another song actually that we put on a second CD called Torrid Affair, which is the one that the Little Feet's Paul Barrere plays on. I had written that song when I was in Appaloosa and Appaloosa did that live. So I had, I had the song structure already defined and just showed, you know, played it for the guys and we just, we reworked that a little differently. And um, so that's, that's how that came together. Well, cool. Like I said, that's, that's very interesting to me how someone who doesn't really play guitar or piano would go about writing a song. So now we know. So, yeah, I have, I have riffs in my head all the time. I wish I could remember them all, you know, it's in one ear out the other. (laughs) Well, man, uh, We've we've been on the history lesson. Um, you know, this we're recording this in March two thousand twenty one and we're starting to really start to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel for COVID nineteen. So what is tentatively planned for the boat drunks in the next year? Well, we've got some we're hoping to be back at Bush Stadium in St. Louis this year. Boo hiss. Hey, you know, um <laughs> you know, our band yeah, I'm, I'm the odd guy out on this one, too. You know, our band is always in a constant struggle, Cubs and Cardinals. But I'm the only White Sox first fan. <laughs> in the so, but, you know, a bad day at a baseball game is better than a good day at work. It's better than a good day almost anywhere, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we get a chance to do that again. Um, and... Um, a lot of other good things in the work. A lot of a lot of places have rescheduled us from 2020 into 2021. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the calendar will flesh out even more. I think uh, you know club owners, and I'm sure you're running into this too, and all the other musicians out there are. Um, you know, a lot is depending on when the venue knows that they'll be able to open, right? You know, and get and get at least 50% capacity allowed in their, uh, in their place. Right. So what, what are y'all uh, in Illinois right now? Capacity wise. I think it's, I think it's 25%, but don't quote me on that. And it's sort of a, 
sliding scale because there are different regions of the state, you know, mm-hmm. um, like Champaign's, I think, in a lot better shape than Chicago is. Right. Both in how open places can be and also like the number of people who've been fully vaccinated. We're at a good size. Our city's at a good size with the right amount of health care. And people are getting like my mom is is not getting her first COVID shot until Friday. Wow. You know, my brother's taking her. She's having hers at the United Center in Chicago. Dang. And um, she's never been there, she said. But she, last time I talked to her, she goes, but you've been there a couple of times, haven't you? Yeah, that's the – I don't think we're going to be doing any Blackhawks games this year. No, but, I, I would be surprised if that happens. So Yeah, because season's already going and stuff like that. But uh, you never know what's going to come up. Thing, things, are, things are in the works, and we're hoping we're going to get uh, – all the guys are up for it. And hopefully we'll get uh, – see a lot of people outdoors this summer. Yeah, well, I am looking forward to uh, seeing. I, I got to see Mike and Dyke uh, in Key West this past year, but I'm looking forward to seeing the full band, even Todd. Uh, <laughs> soon, so, you know, you know, I love Todd. Uh, Todd and I, uh, Mary Beth Rotella from Jimmy and the Parrots. There's a few of us that kind of, you know, we've bonded over being the side stage people. You know, sure, carrying all the heavy equipment and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I know I, I do look forward to seeing uh, to seeing all you guys sometime soon, uh, both on stage and off stage. So hopefully, uh, it's, likewise, it's, yeah. It's, it's Key, it's Key West in the works, or is that? It's, I think I think it's in the works. I don't. I haven't heard a final word yet, but yeah, we'll so. see what happens. Well, all right, Howie from the Boat Drunks. Um, we always close every episode of Trop Rock One Hundred and One with some rapid fire questions. So, are you ready? No, but ask him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? Um, I don't know if it's a favorite song, but I've got a line from, oh, what is it? I can't even remember the name of the song right now. This is why we need rehearsal. But the line is, it never is too late to make a brand new start. And... Um, Oh wow! Oh, knees of my heart. That's yeah, song. yeah. There you go. Yeah, I was, I was like, I know the song, but I can't. I know the lyric, right? Can't no. the song. Yeah, the synapses are moving up, still. COVID speed, <laughs> and um, you know, I like uh, I like his version of uh, Scarlet Begonias. You know, the boat trunks do that one. I get mm-hmm. a chance to sing it. Um, hopefully, another one I can get back in the Tampico Trauma because when we did, that's not in our. That's not on our heavy rotation, right? But uh, Dyke, Dyke, Curly, and I—we like the instrumental stuff, and hopefully we'll get we'll get that back in the playlist a little bit. Well, hey, look at it this way: you're starting the playlist can be is being redone from scratch, man. So right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, what is your favorite cocktail? Favorite cocktail. Um, Myers Dark Rum with a twist of lime. Ooh. Bob Marley or Kenny Chesney? Bob Marley. I had a feeling you were going to answer that one that way. Uh, Kenny, Kenny is losing in a landslide when I go back and add all these up. <laughs> well, you know, I think the project that Donnie and Sonny Jim, John Patty put together, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, for three, three little birds and have yes. all the artists on that, you know, I'm going to have to f- dig that up and watch that again. I haven't, you know, I have to find my three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? The boat drunks don't cover Kenny Chesney, do they? No, we don't. I think we did, we did beer in Mexico for a couple of years, but that sort of fell, fell back. And yeah, that, that might not be a bad one to bring back in either. It's a nice, Good up tempo gets to show off Dyke on guitar at the end. There you go. All right, here's where it starts getting a little tougher. Uh, your favorite trap rock song by an independent artist besides the Boat Drunks? Oh, um, if you feel the need to offer up a handful, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. Brent Burns, I'm going ugly early tonight. Woo. Um let me let me take a quick glance at uh 
at the Covering Their Tracks project, because that's <laughs> got the covers. And I'm just showing, putting that out there to you if you can see it. But uh, um, still get still get a lot of some requests for Cha Cha Man by Don Biddlebrook, like that. Um, we'll get by. Jerry's tune is a good one. Um, who else? You know, I haven't heard a lot of it lately, but I really like uh, Jimmy Pappas's solo stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, enjoy enjoy playing with him. He sat in with us a few times. Um, and you know what? You know, his solo stuff and the stuff that you've written for the Boat Drunks has a lot. The vibe and the feel is the same on a lot of those songs, mm-hmm. so I can see that. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, let's see if, if I can... Oh, and, and some of the girls, the girls rules stuff. You know, I've got this. You know, Heather helped me out on "Hey Baby Hey." Heather Vidal. And, yeah. Uh, some of the stuff she's written, and and the, those three girls sing like angels together. You know, Lindley and Christy and Heather. You know. Yes. You can use more of them. All right, and I have to ask um, because you do a kick-ass live version of it, Blackbeard's Navy. Oh, Sonny Jim. Yeah. We haven't done, you know, we haven't done that live in a while. In fact, last year in Tampa, you know, because he always gets hoarse by the end of the weekend. I go, no, we're not going to. And he always comes up and plays and sings with us. I go, don't worry, we're not going to do Blackbeard (laughs) this last time. (laughs) Well, we had Nadir on stage and we were doing a lot, you know, songs for her and filling out the set. And we had a bunch of people up. Right. So, yeah, Sonny Jim was the first musician I ever sat in with in Key West. It was the first year down there. And that was, you know, that was a story behind girls all want to see Jimmy on our first CD. It's one of mine. And um, true story about, you know, being in turtle crowds and all, I didn't have to make up a whole lot of stuff, but uh, you know, Sonny Jim was nice enough to let me play some songs with him at hog's breath. 1998. Wow. That was just the first or second year in Key West. Yeah, and that was, you know, that's a, the bow trunks were not even a gleam in anybody's eye at that <laughs> So you were the original boat drunk in Key West, even even before the boat drunks. That's right. Uh, before I even knew what I wasn't doing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next question. Uh, what is a book that you recommend to people that you think we should all go check out? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I I would read the Keith Richards Life Biography. Ooh, I have a, read that's it, a good one. so I'm recommending that. All right. I'm, I've never read that. I'll have to go check that out. The, early, the, the front half of the book is better than the back half because it, the fun part of reading all the music biographies is when the band, whatever band it is, they're meeting, they're coming together and stuff like that. The thing, the thing that was interesting about Keith's is that because he was born in 1943, I think, grew up in London, you know, and like the street that he lived on, half the houses were bombed out from World War II. Wow. So just even dealing with that, you know, now he and how he and Mick met and all that stuff. That's a, it's a long read, but it's a good read, I think. I have to put that on my, my list of things to read. So, uh, next question. What is your favorite beach to visit? My favorite beach to visit? Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> I would say either Gulf Shores or, or Panama City Beach. On the Gulf, the sand is the sand is just great, and um, haven't had a chance to catch a whole lot of sun out there. But you know, I think that would be those are my favorites. All right, your favorite Buffett album, start to finish, full blown album. Um, well, the one that just comes in my head is "Son of a Son of a Sailor." That's a good one, for sure. And uh, 
to wrap it up, here's the big question. Uh, if you were going to create a Mount Rushmore of independent trap rock artists, oh, what four faces are you going to put up there? Your bandmates are not eligible. Man, I've heard this question before, but I never, obviously I haven't given it that much thought. I would put, uh, I'd put Jerry Diaz up there. I put uh, Sonny Jim White up there. Um, I mean, I think the volume of work that Donnie Brewer has done over the last five years, you know, he would be like the uh, Teddy Roosevelt of that group. <laughs> I put him up there. Um, and the fourth, hmm, fourth independent. Who, who, who would that be? Let me, hey, man. You're making you're making my brain work too hard here, John. Every everybody uh, the the fourth spot gets everybody. Yeah, um, let's see who who do I like independent? Um, you know, and this is just purely personal. I don't, and just because I seen I put Sauce Boss up there is my Ooh. fourth. How's that? I don't think anybody's picked him yet, so that's good. And uh, the final question is, you're going to add one more person to that. It's a non-musician, offstage person from the community. Who's it going to be? Um, I would put, uh, she's not so active anymore, but I'd put Patty Kohanic up there. Okay. She was really instrumental with us, both at the Fins to the West and early music on the Bay. But she's she's originally from Chicago, which we didn't find out until later. But, uh, you know, she's always I guess it's kind of personal. She's always been a big fan of the band. Yeah. So but she was, you know, a big supporter of a lot of different trap rock people. And um, and if I can add um, another person. Say, who is um, I think Cindy? I can't Cindy Muir. Oh, yeah. I can't remember the two middle names. Cindy Muir. Yeah, uh, you're you're thinking about her. uh, She's got her Cindy Bates. Cindy Bates Herring Muir. Yes, yeah. That sound right? Right order? Yes. Uh, Put her on there. Texas, Texas uh, person who writes for TropRockin.com. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good list, man. That's a couple of names that we haven't, or three names really that I don't think have been brought up yet. So good job. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, Hallie Gullup from the Bow Drunks, thank you for, for visiting with me, man. And uh, like I said, look forward to seeing you somewhere in person real soon. So, okay, John, it's, uh, good talking to you. Good to see you. I know you're a big Cubs fan, and everyone's looking forward to baseball. Yes. And uh, we'll hope that the summer gets everybody out and about so we can all see each other and you know, jump around and play some tunes and have a good time. And, I'm, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. So hi to everybody down in Tejas.